Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. 
Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey, friends, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is a quick-ish hit uh, for the Philadelphia and Pittsburgh shows on the Fall 2019 tour. You've got Matt here. With me on the phone is Jonathan. Hey, man, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm glad we could squeeze this in during the working day because, unfortunately, I'm back at work and not on my way to Charleston. Same, same. Uh, so it feels, feels like the good old days, just uh, sneaking this in between meetings or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is cool because we have been so, all of us, bit so busy this fall with various projects and stuff uh, that we haven't gotten to chat. So this feels like a good opportunity to, to catch up. And seeing as I was at Philadelphia and you were at Pittsburgh, uh, we can get some input from each other on how those shows went down. So um, that's awesome. I want to um, start out and, and remind Remind everybody. I, I shouldn't have to remind our audience. I think you guys are probably uh, the last people that we need to tell about this. But consider it more of a shaming, if, if anything. Uh, if you're not already listening to After Midnight, uh, our series on Big Cypress, why? What are you doing? What are you waiting for? Go listen to it. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've been sort of trapped in the swamp for the past couple of months working on that, so it feels nice to talk about some modern fish and listen to some modern fish. But um, if, you, if you're not caught up, uh, I'll tell you, if you were waiting for anything, now's the time to go because um, next week, uh, as of when we're recording this, we will be releasing episode four, which focuses solely on the Midnight to Sunrise set. And I say as the person putting this stuff together, having read all the scripts, kind of knowing what's coming, this is it's going to be the best episode and you're going to want to listen to this right away. So go get caught up if you haven't. And please do us a favor. Tell everybody you know about it. If they're fish fans uh, and they, they're averse to podcasts, make them listen to it. If they're podcast fans and they're averse to fish, make them listen to it. It's a compelling story. I've had uh, a lot of people in my life who are not fish fans listening to it and telling me, wow, this is a really cool thing. I'm going to keep listening to it because the story is awesome. Uh, there's a lot of detail to it. And um, if they're music fans, they're not fish fans, they're not podcast fans, get them on the, the music podcast train. Uh, tell them that uh, it's it's a cool thing and uh, they should be checking it out. So there's my piece yeah, on let that. Me, and get, go let, ahead, me tag on, let me tag on to that really quick because um, I really didn't do anything on this production. Uh, I transferred a cassette or something, but so coming from the outside, I'm not reading any of the scripts. I don't have any foreknowledge, uh, but I have been riveted listening to this because I was at big Cypress and, uh, it's, you know, not only telling a story that I was a part of, but it's really revealing stuff that I didn't know things that I wasn't, you know, we're not privy to, um, and I mean, hell, even the the bit in the last episode about the uh, the shortages, uh, if you will, I, I wasn't really I wasn't aware of that at all because it's not something I know. I was at Big Cypress with my future wife and a three year old, and I, I didn't encounter that problem. Um, <laughs> so it was a uh, yeah, it's it's been a fascinating listen. You guys are doing a great work on it, and everybody out there should be listening. And uh, if they're not, I I can't even really fathom why. 
<laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a. It's a certainly a labor of love, and we're we're glad that everybody's loving it. Uh, including, we've gotten some really great feedback from the band's management and and whatnot. So, um, loving that. But let's talk about 2019. Um, I'm in an interesting place here. Uh, I mentioned earlier I was at the Philadelphia show. You were at the Pittsburgh show. Because of the, I've sort of been trapped in the swamp. Um, I, I had a really crazy experience was just that I came into the Philly show very uninformed about what's been going on in this tour. Um, and I really, I really still like, I've not listened to much, if anything, I obviously saw that show, but I haven't re-listened to any of it. Um, I heard a little bit from the second night of Charleston on the way up, uh, the drive up to Philly, mostly because I wanted to know what the whole THX sound gag was about. Uh, and then Providence. I'm sorry. Yeah. Providence, Providence. Yep. See, that's, that's exactly how yeah. uh, confused I am about everything. <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, I listened to the Haley's Comet jam, uh, from, uh, Pittsburgh because I was told that was something that I should check out. And I literally last night after putting in a bunch of work, it was very late. I wanted to wind down and I put the video of tube that got uploaded to YouTube, uh, in wonderful 4k HDR video, wanted to check that out and literally fell asleep during it so i didn't even hear the tube jam so i i genuinely i'm coming from a place of um genuine curiosity about uh what's been going on in some of these shows and and so maybe we can swap experiences here well i mean i i have been playing along from home uh all year long actually pittsburgh was my first show of the year it's been that kind of weird year for me uh my life and schedule versus fishes uh, but I, I really have enjoyed the first part of tour. Um, they, they definitely are starting to very quickly, I think, started to loosen up and open up and they're hitting, they're hitting things well, like they compose things reasonably well and they are exploring They you know, we don't have to run through all the highlights of the first few shows, but there are, there are a number of them. And then, uh, and then we have this unique show. I think that you went to is unique in a lot of ways and uh, including the fact that there is no officially downloadable content <laughs> um, because it's owned by Sirius uh, and, uh, and it was in this tiny venue and it, 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 and it was interesting. I listened to it from home, but I want to hear about the experience. Tell us about getting into because this is this is not a regular concert, even so. Get, tell us about getting into the Met. What was it like inside the room, and then uh, and then we'll get at some musical highlights. Yeah, um, really special show. Uh, I kind of came into it, you know, a needing a kind of a, a break and a, a release of uh, of tension and, and seeing some fish after uh, you know kind of burying myself in in all this stuff recently. Um, the 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 other show. Um, so I was I was pumped about that and I kind of I wasn't thinking about it until I drove up there. I was like, wow, like I'm going to driving to my hometown where I was born and raised and still have so many friends and family and just so much love for Philadelphia. And I, I do consider it to be one of the true great rock and roll cities uh, of, of, of the world. And this what I heard was a beautiful venue. I had never been to the Met before, so I was excited to be able to do that. Um, and then on top of that, see fish in this very, very small confines that, um, you know, smallest venue in, I guess, since Roseland, 
uh, 2000. And so I was all of that. I, I didn't, wasn't even thinking about it until I was on my way to the show and just realizing what a special, um, experience it was going to be. But at the same time, there was so much, uh, uh kind of like unknown, like, w- you know, what was the experience going to be like? Like I, I was somebody's plus one. So I was not even clued into like, what's the process? How do we get inside? Like, are we going to be assigned seats? Is it just going to be like, you show up and they say, Hey, go pick a seat out. Like what's, what's going to happen. Um, and I have to say, I really, my hands off to hats off hands, hands are off too, but hats off, uh, <laughs> to, um, everybody involved in running this. I, uh, my understanding is that Sirius was actually, you know, they essentially rented the venue and, and ran the whole thing. And from what I could see, it was a very, very smooth experience for everybody. Um, I got, I got into town, uh, around just before five o'clock and, um, went over to the venue, met up with my, uh, met up with RJ and, uh, we were, uh, you know, went and picked up our tickets. Um, and they were basically what they were doing is like, you went early in the day or whenever you could get there with your entire party, you all had to be there and they give you a wristband to, you know, say that you're able to go in. And they, at that point assigned you a ticket. And I guess based on like order that people were showing up and like, whether you had won the contest or you were like, you know, gifted tickets by the band or somebody in the industry or something like that, they had kind of different, um, assigned sections of the venue. So like we wound up with the GA pit up front. Um, but then like the second level where there's all these like really cool ornate boxes, my understanding is that was like the band's like friends and family. So like Tom Marshall and Trey's parents and, and like all those types of people were on that level. And then upstairs there's this huge mezzanine with, um, a lot of seats and some more boxes and stuff like that. And that's where like a lot of people were, um, were sitting as well. Um, the venue itself is way smaller than I expected. I mean, you know, capacity is about 3,500, but I expected the actual dimensions of the room to be a lot bigger. And when we walked into the, the, the orchestra, the floor, um, it was like, you're, even if you were leaning against the back wall of the orchestra, you still felt like you could reach out and touch the stage. And one thing that, um, somebody pointed out, we got there and we were about 10 people back from the, um, from the rail. And, we were talking to somebody and he was like, you know, we're standing about the distance that you'd be from the band if you saw them in an arena and you were on the rail because the band, the stage was so small that the band was up against the front of the stage. There was a very, like, no, like very little photo pit or security area. Like the rail was right up against the stage and then you had people. So it was that level of intimacy that, you you know, no matter where you were, it just felt like you were kind of connected with the band. So um, very, very cool experience all around at the Met. Outstanding. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great room. I know RJ, who I went to Pittsburgh with, told me that he moved around a good bit because that's what he does at shows often. And he said he any any point in the venue that he went to, he had an outstanding sightline and he didn't feel far away. So, uh, it, yeah, it sounds like a good room. So let's talk about the music. Um, you got some. You got a lot of tweezer action uh, and. What 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 are your highlights of this show? So that's the other thing is like you know 
in terms of unknowns, like this is a special radio show, are they going to, uh, is it just going to be a regular old fish show? Is it going to be, uh, are they going to kind of phone it in because it's, you know, not one of their sort of regular shows and it's a special, you know, free show for people. Um, there was even some people were walking around outside the venue swearing up and down that fish was recording a new album that night and that that we were going to hear all new material and stuff. So all sorts of wild conjecture being thrown around and stuff. Um, but it really, it was just a regular old fish show, but it was a very good fish show. I I thought, um, and, uh, I, 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 I'm a sucker for a tweezer. Uh, when we, (laughs) when we got into the third tweezer, uh, I was standing with, um, RJ and some other folks that we know and, and the whole team from uh, from Jam Base that was there, uh, we were all kind of around and, and I was standing next to Scotty Bernstein and I was sort of like held up my hand. I was like, all right, we have a Tweezer Fest, folks. Uh, it's it's officially a Tweezer Fest. Um, to get that in the first set, I thought was pretty cool. It kind of showed you that they were like not phoning it in from the start. Um, and it was, it was high energy, uh, from the beginning, um, to, to back it up for a second, the, I thought the acoustic or the acapella opener was awesome. Um, very cool nod to being in the small room and a huge, yeah, great choice, enormous that, right? bust out in hello, my baby too. Um, the only thing I would say in, t- in terms of, you know, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking or whatever, it would have been cool. And I don't know if this would have worked at all if they had saved that to the end and maybe tried to do it without mics because it, it would have worked in that room since it's, it's an opera house. The acoustics were actually really good for vocals. Um, I, 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 yeah, but I a, a say, song without mics is, doesn't make for very good radio. Well, and that's, so. that's part of it. I, that's, that's a good <laughs> point. And, I, and the other sort of cynical part of me says that in 2019, they can't pull that out because, um, there's always going to be some jerk who decides to scream, I love fish when it gets really quiet. And then somebody else is going to shush them and somebody's going to shush the shusher. And it's just not, it's not going to work, but, well, that's um, how it went back when they did do that too. <laughs> so it's not like it's a new development. Sure. I, yeah. I think that the other, the flip side to that also is that the, the mic rig that they're using for that these days is just that's outstanding. It's it ha- gives really nice sound in the recordings after the fact. So uh, I think that it works quite well, and you can really get their harmonies. I I was in my car racing home <laughs> from a long day, uh, having picked up a, a kid who my eldest who or my middle child eldest at home who had a harp lesson that until eight o'clock. So we're driving across town listening to it in the car, and they drop go into hello my baby i i ecstatically exclaimed something or other and i got the 16 year old looking at me like i'm crazy as i crank hello my baby (laughs) and (laughs) and it just it sounded that sounded great it sounded really great yeah it sounded really well it it was good and it got things um going in in a nice way and then to have that and then you know, get right into tweezer after that was really cool. So, um, I think as far as, you know, first set, obviously lots of tweezers, um, the, the, the segues back into tweezer and into everything else felt really good. I think that was my number one takeaway from the night is that all of the segues that they did were really good. Nothing felt forced, nothing felt ripcorded at all. Um, you look at, you know, going from the MoMA dance back into tweezer, uh, it, you know, there was a key change there that they had to execute and it was done really well. But then going into blaze on was perfect to the point where sometimes in those types of transitions, I feel like 
Trey kind of feels the rhythm and the rest of the band does and he starts playing a lick and it falls apart because Fishman has to kind of stop for a second think of the new groove and start playing it and he very seamlessly drops from the tweezer groove into the blaze on groove and um that i think that made that that transition and then same thing you know going from kill devil falls into tweezer into yomar just really smooth not forced felt very natural uh and uh was it was a great um first set didn't know if they'd get back to tweezer in the second set but they they did just a little bit so yeah um, i i want to I want everybody to remember what you said about that uh, transition to Blaze On and how it wasn't, uh, you know, how, you know, how how it could have been. And sometimes they don't go, you know, sometimes they don't go so well. I want everybody to remember what you said there because I think you described something from Pittsburgh perfectly without trying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So second set highlights. I mean, uh, God, a little more tweezer, nice chalk dust that jammed and. Uh, Kind of a thumping mic song, although no second jam in that. Uh, no, but wait. once once again, I mean, great, great chalk dust torture jam. Probably the the most out there jam of the night in terms of type two stuff. But once again, smooth segue back into Tweezer for the the final time of the, the evening. Um, and then once again, amazing. I don't know why this doesn't have. On, I'm looking at the fish.net set list right here. I don't know why that doesn't have a true segue arrow there because um, that segue from from Tweezer into Mike Song um, it brought brought back memories of um, was that the disease into Mike Song from Raleigh '97. Um, you know, in the Something middle like that in the middle of a jam just very smoothly going into that mic song lick uh which was just just great um uh sparkle ass-handed weekapaw groove the ass-handed weekapaw groove was super 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 fun i like that um and then it's one of those shows where like you felt in the moment like they could they, they could have just kind of put a capper on the second set at that point it would have been pretty fun but instead we got this entire second half um, starting off with a you know really beautiful version of Miss You Waves, which is Waves and Twist. Um, anytime I hear either of those, it always puts me in a very psychedelic headspace. And you got both of those together. Um, so I, I think while the first part of the set was more kind of rocking, exploratory, the second half was very very spacey, psychedelic between the waves, the twist, and then in two thousand one, I mean, whoa. Oh my God, out of nowhere, because the, it was actually a little rough around the edges at the start and looking at watches and stuff, it was kind of like, all right, they're probably just going to play this real fast and then, you know, play, you know, Cavern or something like that, or Zero, just cap off the set. And instead we got outer space. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I hope it came through on the, the radio broadcast, how truly out there they got, because it was, it was a really special thing. Oh, it really did. I mean, they were uh, they were melting faces all over the planet, thanks to the uh, power of space radio. And uh, yeah, they really put the space into space radio with that song. Man, it was it was outstanding. Well, I was loving it and talking about it all day the next day. Yeah, it was one of those things. That not just noise, but. Um almost breaking free from rhythm and from melody into just sound um, elements of kind of Plinko and rhythm, you know, rhythmic playing, but without a specific time signature. Um, and then uh, the lights, it was kind of funny and I don't know. Um, I'm hoping they released like some YouTube video or something like that. And you can probably see from pictures and videos that fans have posted. <laughs> it was almost comical. Like, 
they took a section of the lighting rig and they hung it in the venue and it didn't move at all or anything because the stage was way too small to support that. But the band was like dwarfed by the lights that they tried to squeeze in there. <laughs> and one of the things that you realize when you put them in the small space is that the actual lighting fixtures themselves are so enormous, but they have to be because of the distance that they are from the band and how far they have to project in an in arena or an amphitheater. And it doesn't look weird, but in this tiny room it was like you've got all of these lights that are like bigger than a human head surrounding the band um and just like you know really blinding people at times uh and so 2001 was a really good test of that uh to to kind of get get funky in people's eyeballs um and then you cap the whole thing off with uh, Waste was really nice and Twee Prize, you know, somewhat expected. But as I've said before, and I'll say again, when you have a great show, um, I, you know, you don't really need to do anything special during the encore. And Tweezer Reprise is always special itself. The one thing I will call out on that one, and I think this is the second Twee Prize in a row where I saw this happen. Uh, I'm thinking maybe it, this happened at Dick's too. Um, Mike went to play his big uh, deep note at the beginning during the intro and nothing came out of his rig. And he started like, you know, hitting pedals, turning knobs, looking around, tried it again. Nothing happened. And he finally, I, I don't know if he's like, tries to do like a more like textured version of this now with a lot of effects and it doesn't working. And he just reverted to just like, I'm just going to pop the hell out of this string when the band comes in. And so when Fishman came in, he just, hit it really hard and finally the whole venue shook <laughs> with with his big note um little, getting a little frustration out of there but um and then it, it was really crazy because you looked up at like the balcony and everything and it was just like you kind of realized the collective energy of the r- room and the people it just it was a, it was a really fun tweet prize so um awesome Sweet. awesome night i mean i'm i wasn't planning on seeing any shows on this fall tour and this was a, a nice treat for me so um i think it was great i think that the band really showed up on a big night which is always great to see them do um and they really uh it it, it did feel like a special show and I'm, I'm glad i got to attend yeah well i am uh, glad you got to attend as well sounds like a really good time i hope they free the tapes someday and uh, we can all hear it in full non-satellite compressed fidelity in the future. Yeah, it's, you know, I, that's, I think maybe my only critique of the entire thing is that they really should have allowed audience tapers. I think that's the one thing that they did here that kind of violates the um, the typical understanding between fish and the audience. Um, and I'm saying that mostly because the, you know, the unfortunate nature of the serious thing is that the, the sound quality of, of satellite radio is pretty awful. And, um, my understanding from, from talking to people, uh, who were just listening and, and maybe you can confirm this is that the sound quality of the broadcast was pretty terrible, uh, and a little frustrating at time. And I feel like even if they didn't want to let put it out as a live fish download because they want to own the recording or something like that. Um, if they had allowed audience tapes that night, it would have been a, a really nice um, kind of trade off for that. So I don't, did you have any thoughts on kind of, you know, the sound quality? And I, did, did it I, I bother wish, you? I wish there were audience tapes. It did bother me. Um, you know, the delay aside and the delay is not a big deal, but it was, you know, just a weird annoyance for couch tour. Um, but putting that aside, yeah, it was the compression uh, I don't know. Some people reported that the mix was not familiar, <laughs> and I think that's 
you know, it, I, I don't know if it was different or not, or what logistics were uh, uh, different insofar as the mixing of the feed, but it didn't sound the way we're used to. I think, believe it or not, despite a lot of people's complaining over the years, we're quite spoiled by live fish. Um, we're very lucky to to have that do what it does, even though many of us might ask for more, like audio-only streams or what have you. Um, this this is not this doesn't didn't hold up quite to that standard. But mm. the playing was really good. The event is very cool, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll treasure whatever tapes we have as we go forward. Um, yeah, I, sure. I, I will say, I know um, Mike made a comment about this on Twitter. The sound was amazing in the room. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, Gary Brown's typical oh, yeah. incredible PA mix, but the um, the bass sound was unbelievable. It's this, the the room is really really tall, and you know it's an it's an old opera house, and they were designed for people to be able to project their voice very well. But it felt like it was like the perfect height for a standing bass wave because Mike's bass was so unbelievably crystal clear all night. Um, the other the one other thing I'll, I'll say before we move on to talking about Pittsburgh, just in terms of the experience, it was amazing hearing more sound off of the stage than in the PA uh, from where we were standing. I mean, I was definitely listening to Trey's guitar rig and not Trey's guitar rig put through the PA system. Um, so hearing that, you know, removing that layer of abstraction in the sound um, really, really helped. So I think that's another reason why if they had audience recording, uh, you know, it would be pretty great, but we had it. It was a great experience. Um, and then after the show, the band was on the bus and immediately out across the state of Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh. So let's shift to, to you, Jonathan. Um, you mentioned this was your, this, is this your one show for the year? No, no new year's run or anything like that. Uh, no, I didn't say that, but it's my ah. first show of the year. Okay. So yeah, I will be making appearances in the uh, New York city and, late December, which I'm very excited about. And that's kind of developing. So I just acquired the first of my necessary tickets. Um, actually, right after this show, right after the Pittsburgh show, I got a message from a good friend, Todd, and, uh, who's been on the show. Uh, and he had a ticket for me for the 29th. So very excited about that. But let's talk about Pittsburgh. Um, it was cold in Pittsburgh. We drove through snow and whatever and met up with a bunch of friends and there's no real lot to speak of, so the bars in Pittsburgh near the venue were packed before the show, and so we went to a hot dog place, met up with a couple people, and I'm not kidding about the hot dog place, and uh, and then went into a great show. I had seats right behind the stage, which is one of my favorite places to sit, and I think they played a really good show. Everything we've seen, uh, the highlights of the previous shows are coming together nicely, um, I opened with 555. If you don't dig that song, I don't know why you haven't gotten on board because it's a it's a sweet groove, in my opinion. And then Bag came after that. It was a little, little slowish ACDC bag, but pretty good. And then the first real highlight for me it was Cars, Trucks, Buses, which was, I thought, a pretty hot version. Um, and I hadn't seen that. Actually, I hadn't seen that since they returned uh, in Hampton in 09. So I was excited for that. Nice water in the sky sample. Things were uh, standard great, average great, as uh, Charlie Dirksen used to say, probably <laughs> still does. Um, 
uh, Funky Bitch, Wolfman's had a cool little jam. It was, it's about six and a half minutes into the Wolfman's, there's this jam that is akin to a mind left body. You know, they're kind of traced, kind of bleeding with that progression. There's more of a beat behind it than you might usually hear in a mind left body jam. Uh, but that was, it was brief, but very cool. Um, Haley's did, as you mentioned at the top of this thing, Haley's had a little bit of a uh, little extra. They basically went to stop the song where they always do. And Trace gave the little sign over to Mike and they just tore back into it for a little bit, which was outstanding. A lot of fun. Yeah. I mentioned that was the one thing I, I have listened to from this show and um, I, I dug it. Um, the one thing I, I didn't mention in, the, in talking about the Met Night, because I didn't experience it that much, but from the tapes that I've heard, this stuck out. And when I listened to this Haley's, this is kind of what I heard. It fe- it felt like, and I don't know if you have the same opinion, but like some of the composed sections are a little rough around the edges, like band, not together. There was this Haley's Comet. It felt like they were kind of struggling to get through it. But then like they go into jam mode and it's just like, oh, here we go. Here's like top tier fish. I mean, did you did you have the same impression? Well, I could I couldn't weigh in on that bit from Haley's because I'm not going to lie. I ran to the bathroom at the beginning of Haley's and I made it back for the jam. So um, I didn't have that impression through most of the night. I I sitting behind. I was very close, but behind the band, so I couldn't see their faces. But I I definitely saw a lot of communication, and I it sounded pretty tight to me. You know, kind of the usual or this point in 3.0 where they might Trey might slough off a line here and there in a composed theme uh, with the purpose of, you know, getting to the next bit and making sure that the more important bits are covered and played. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really pick that up. Um, I thought, I thought they were playing quite strong. Um, A good example is, um, is victim, which is a new Mike song new Mm. for fish Mike Gordon's song, which is, you know, it's kind of a cool song. It's in seven four time. I was uh, at the show. My friend Scott, uh, the drummer for the Jaunty, was he was with me, and he said very quickly, "Dude, this thing is in seven. That's crazy." And I was listening. Yeah, it's in a very fast seven four time, and I thought they they hang in there really well. And uh, I also gotta say, I kind of like that song. Um, and then we had an antelope to close the first set that just was big. It was, you know, high intensity antelope left everybody tired and, and excited <laughs> um, as, as an antelope ought to. So, yeah, I, um, I, I have to go back and do some more re-listening to see if I, I'm hearing what you're talking about. I, I have seen a couple people mention it. I definitely saw people mention it. With respect to the Met, uh, I don't know if it was just the differing mix that we were hearing at home uh, made that made it seem like that, but I didn't really feel the same way. Yeah, once again, I mean, I I, I didn't I didn't necessarily see that or feel that at the Met, um, but uh, it's difficult when you're in the moment um, having fun and you're yeah. not necessarily listening to every single nuance of the song. That mostly came from my the, the listening that I did to the second night of Providence. So um, seems like as the the tour went on, they they may have sh- shooken off some of the cobwebs, which tends to happen yeah, as well. I feel like they uh, they have knocked a good bit of them aside. So they when they came out for Cavern, things were strong and good, and Runaway Jim 
we got excited when they dropped in Runaway Jim, and we were right to because that has a really good out there type two jam that led us into the first Ghosts of the Forest. Oh which, man! How so? Oh, how was this? <laughs> um, I I, w- I will say I lied. This is the other thing that I have heard from this show, and listening to it on the recording, it sounds super tight. And I, and I, when I look at this show on paper, this set on paper, first off, it looks like an incredible set on paper, but coming out of what you and others have told me was a, a sort of deep space, uh, runaway gym. It sounds like perfect placement for the first time oh, to play. Oh God, it was outstanding placement and they played it very well. The only thing I would say about Ghost of the Forest, the only thing I would change is that he plays that that lick at the end of the song, that little, that riff there, that I just would love to hear him vamp on that a little bit longer at that point. Just a few more bars of it, just because it's so good that that out that that uh, riff he's doing there at the end, it's so good, his tone so powerful that I I wanted to live in that moment a bit longer. Um, but that's a hell of a complaint, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an entitled look. Uh, and then he played, they played a song, I Heard the Ocean Sing, which, um, you know, I've been seeing this band a while, <laughs> and I've somehow never caught a song, I Heard the Ocean Sing. They always play it at the show before or after. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I'm attending. Yeah. That's great. So that was weird um, and great to finally see. Um, then they, you know, they took that into Caspian, and this is where... I'll bring up the, uh, the the pin that I dropped into your uh, description of transitions. This is one where Trey was ready to start Caspian, but the band wasn't quite playing it. <laughs> so he started singing it, and then they started playing it right, and then you know, then it went on. And I enjoyed the Caspian, um, and then good, pretty standard Fuego. Followed by You Enjoy Myself, which I, I got to say we did not really see coming. Uh, and I thought that was a good You Enjoy Myself. Uh, good trade dance in that, but uh, also good solos from everybody. And then, and I thought, sure, at the end of the vocal jam, they were going to stop. And Trey picks up his guitar. And we got Good Times, Bad Times, which is a great rocking kind of bonus closer. Um, so they leave the stage. Or as they're about to leave the stage, they're doing their little bows. Some folks in the front, near the front row, you know, in the front of the very small. We haven't even talked about this room. It's a great little room, by the way. It's not very big. Yeah, I, I wanted uh, to hear about small floor. I wanted to hear arena. about that because it's it's a newer place and they've only played there once before. And seems like it's one of those things where they're going back to their roots a little bit in playing like a college arena, right? Right. Like this is a college. I mean, it's. You know, not a small college per se, but it's not a very big arena. The floor is kind of tiny once you have their big-ass stage on it. Um, and then the risers coming down to the floor in the back and on one side. It was, uh, yeah, it was, the, I wasn't on the floor, but I had a pretty good view of it. It did not, it did not go that deep. There was just, you know, not a lot of people. Now the, the sides and things kind of went up a good bit, uh, but there was also a fair amount of elbow room. I think it was undersold, or if it was sold out, there was there was no lack of tickets available. So there was a little bit of elbow room throughout the place. Nice, but uh, maybe because of the out of the way sort of nature of the the show in the in the run itself. 
but yeah, so I, I thought it was a great little room. It sounded good even behind, you know, behind the stage. I think I'm really, I haven't downloaded any audience tapes yet, but I am about to jump on that tonight. Um, but yeah, after the, after set two, a large banner rose out of the audience while they were doing their bows and it said, I really love you and I mean you. And we, we spotted it. We had seen it once before, but we couldn't read the whole thing the first time it had come up. So he came up then and we read it and we had a good laugh. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that happening. And sure enough, they came out did hold your head up. Terrapin first, I mean, the first of 3.0, first one I've seen since Virginia beach 99. And, uh, and it was, it was great. Good, good vacuum, good fun. Uh, Fishman jumping and running jumps up on the piano right in front of me. How I kind of <laughs> wish I had my phone out, you know, cause I would have had a beautiful picture of him up on the piano, but I was not taking pictures at the time. Well, at least he kept his dress on if he was that close to you. Uh, well, in some of those bows, you know, it doesn't, it <laughs> kind of rides a little. Um, but uh, <laughs> I didn't yeah, but see I mean, anything I didn't want to see. First Terrapin in 15 years, not only the first of 3.0, but first since uh, the end of 2.0, Tweeter Center, uh, 811, yeah. 2004, which was the only Terrapin of 2.0. Um and, you know, before that it had been the year 2000, they played it. So only the second, I guess the third time this millennium that the song has been played. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Really, really nice bust out. Yeah. Um, and so thank you to whoever had that banner, because I, I don't see how we could not give them credit for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we had ourselves a good little show there. Uh, Julius sent us home and Julius is, uh, I misspoke. I turned to Scott and I said, man, this song is never not bad, but that's not what I mean. It's never not good. Every Julius is the best Julius. They're just, it's a great, just pumping rock song. Uh, they'd have to really botch it to, to send you home too disappointed after that. And they didn't. And it was a lot of fun. Then we walked out into the cold, windy night, uh, where there were no no ride shares to be found and walked a good bit back to the hotel. And uh, yeah, sadly back into our lives as opposed to on to Charleston. Yeah. We also wish I was going to Charleston, but uh, you know, life logistics, uh, you know, <laughs> podcasts, whatnot, it all comes together. But like I said, I, I was not planning on seeing any shows on this tour. So the, the Met was a really, really nice treat for me and a surprise um but i think like you i'm looking ahead to uh to msg at this point um although excited excited to hear what's going to happen in charleston this weekend i have a lot of friends going down there as i'm sure you do i think um on the initial look at the tour it was the the sort of relatively easy strike for a lot of folks in the dc and virginia area where we are so um a lot of well, absolutely plus folks from everywhere because it's the it's three nights yeah uh, it's a three-night run at a ga venue um it how could how could you go wrong it's the end of tour <laughs> yeah they're warmed up it's going to be a lot of fun it, it's not going to be as cold as up north so i yeah i think everybody has every reason to be excited for this weekend and I will be couch touring some of it and really looking forward to listening to every bit of it. 
Nice. And I, I will. I think the band is in a good place. So yeah. I think we're all pretty lucky right now. Yeah, they've hit a sweet spot. Um, and I think it's cool that there's only a couple weeks off then uh, before they head into MSG. Bodes well for that run where, of course, they always uh, manage to step up. I will say for the folks going to Charleston, if you did not know this, um, the Charleston Coliseum is where the uh, mega church scenes from the show The Righteous Gemstones were filmed. <laughs> so I am fully predicting a sit in from Uncle Baby Billy on Misbehaven uh, this weekend. Um, you heard it here first. Yeah, mark it down, y'all. There you go. All right. All right. Well, Jonathan, let's get back to work. Uh, what, since we don't have anything from the Mets to drop into the episode here, um, what do you think from Pittsburgh we should leave folks with? I think you should give them the some of the Runaway Jim. Okay. Hear the, let them hear, or, or I don't know, or the Wolfman's Brother has pretty good jam and it's compact. So it, a micro jam, if you will. Um, so either one of those, I'm going to let you flip the coin and surprise everybody. I want to hear this runaway jam because people keep telling me okay. about it. So let's, let's take you to the deep space of runaway Jim. Um, we will be back uh, early next week with a recap of Charleston. Um, thanks for bearing with us. We're not doing day by day here while all of us uh, sort out a lot of things going on this fall. It's a very busy fall for all of us. Uh, but we did want to make sure that you get to hear uh, a little bit about each grouping of shows. So we, uh, if everything goes well, we'll be back on monday with a recap of charleston and uh here you go to the deep space of runaway gym thanks
The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.